Hello and welcome to the 13th of December edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team for this week's edition comprises John Plush as recording engineer and Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey who are on copying an admin this week in Carol Hartle's absence and our readers today are... Hello, Kath- sorry, I'm Catherine. Catherine. <laughs> and Phil, hi. Hello, everybody. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners today and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, the headline stories, then general news stories, followed by some sport, the obituaries, thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times and the birthdays. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. Please keep sending any feedback that you might have as the team here wants to make the recording both pleasurable and relevant. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number here is 01905 767 766. Please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and best use of our resources. You may know already by now you'll only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you'll not receive further recordings. But if you're unwell or have a problem, please ring us 01905. 767-766 and leave a message. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Phil is going to read out for us. Yes, thank you, Pippa. Here are those telephone numbers. The police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers is 0800 555 Worcester Hub for Council Matters is the Worcester prefix 01905, followed by 765765. The number for Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntington Hall and the Henry Sandon Hall, is Worcester 611427. Malvern Theatres is 01684. 892-277. The Samaritans number, which is now a free phone number, is 116123. And once again, here at Colin Chance House, we are Worcester 767-766. Thank you, Phil. And I now have a, a list of the events going on in Worcester, which, not surprisingly, have a bit of a festive theme this week. I'll start at the Cathedral where they are holding a Tidings of Joy concert on the 15th of December from 7.30pm to 9.30pm. 
If you can't make that, there are other services, cathedral carol services, that is, on the 22nd and 23rd of December, 6.30 to 8pm. There's also a crib service on Christmas Eve at 3pm and another evening service on Christmas Eve at 5.30pm with carols. Moving on to pantomimes and the like, at the Henry Sandon Hall from the 16th of December at 11am and 1.30pm is Santa's Christmas Party. I think this one might be for the children probably, as it says, it'll help, help get Santa's Christmas Party back on track in an adventure full of fun, festive songs and party games. Every child will receive a special present. That's £11 for adults and £10 for under-16s. Two adults and two children, £40. Telephone number there at the Henry Sandon Hall is 01905 611 Two events happening at the Huntington Hall. Uh, the one is a Celtic Christmas with Callan, and I didn't know this, but they are an international award-winning band from Wales who are back on the road with infectious rhythms and high-energy routines, apparently. And they come with bagpipes, fiddles and step dancing. That's on the 15th of December at 7.30pm, tickets £16. And then from the 20th of December at the Huntington Hall is a u- unique retelling of Dickens' heartwarming tale, A Christmas Carol. But with a difference, because it is described as using an array of traditional and modern instruments and authentic musical arrangements, which sounds very interesting. Then over at the Vesta Tilly studio from the 11th to the 15th of December and then again from the 18th to the 22nd is a performance of Bar Humbug. I hope it's more exciting than it sounds. And finally, we move to the Swan Theatre where... Some of you may know that they've got a a performance of the pantomime Maid Marian and the Merry Men. And that's running from the 3rd of December to the 6th of January. Tickets are £13.50 to £17.95. And this year they're offering two audio-described performances for the visually impaired. Ben Humphrey, the director of the show, is dedicated to making the panto accessible to as many people as possible. We have four generations of families come and see this, and we want to include them all. And actually, if we want to include them all, then we need to include other people as well who perhaps can't enjoy it in the in the traditional way so we've got an audio described performances we've got we've got signed performances and we're also having a relaxed performance as well for uh for families with additional needs perhaps autistic children that need sort of uh, lights on in the the auditorium the pyros are taken out um so inclusivity is very very important to us you've got one more chance to catch a performance at which audio description will be given and that's on Saturday the 29th of December at 2pm. Tickets can be booked through the main box office at Huntington Hall or by ringing 01905 611 If there's enough take-up of this offer, the Swans say they'll extend the service to cover other shows in the forthcoming year, so let's hope that's the case. Right, I think that does for the What's On, and I'm going to ask Catherine to read the headlines and then start with the first story. Thanks, Pippa. The headlines this week have been, beginning on Friday, December the 7th, Jailed Boss Steps Back from Clubs. I Want Killer Kept Inside. 
The county makes 124 arrests in war on drugs. Betrayed. City's Muslim community furious. Outsider taxes hit city trade. And open the gates. Firms appeal to help trade. So those are the headlines. And I'm going to begin with the first story, which is jailed boss steps back from clubs. A nightclub owner is expected to take a back seat in his business empire after he was jailed for offering to supply cocaine to a woman. However, Bushwhackers and Browns at the Key, boss Darren Pinches, has the support of celebrity record producer and radio owner Muff Murfin, who says that the businessman should not have gone to jail and could have performed a more valuable role in the community or by continuing his charity work. Pinch's personal licence to sell alcohol is also now under review after he was jailed for 21 months at Warwick Crown Court on Wednesday as the entrepreneur begins his sentence and surrenders the reins of his many business ventures. The 52-year-old father of two was convicted of possession of cocaine and offering to supply cocaine to a woman who claimed he demanded sex from her. She branded him a predator following a four-week trial, which also saw him cleared of a sex attack and administering cocaine with intent to overpower or stupefy against a 20-year-old woman and of supplying cocaine to a third woman aged 19 in the crypt and bushwhackers. Company's House now lists Pinchers as having only three current appointments as a director at the Key, the Casbray Factory Limited and Waterhouse UK Limited. Previously, he was listed as having 13 appointments as a director, but some of the companies are now listed as dissolved. For those businesses still in operation, Pinchers is no longer listed as playing an active role in them. He's listed as a former director of Bushwhackers Leisure Limited. He was appointed to the position on September the 20th, 1997, and resigned on April the 22nd, 2017, a little over three months after his dramatic arrest at his home in Barclay Gardens on January the 13th last year. A Worcester City Council spokesperson said, We can confirm that Mr Darren Pinches currently holds a personal licence with the City Council. In light of his recent conviction at court, Mr Pinches' personal licence will be reviewed in line with the requirements of the Licensing Act 2003. Mr Darren Pinches is not currently a premises licence holder, neither is he named as the designated premises supervisor on any premises licences issued by the City Council. References for Pinchers were supplied by Michael Burroughs QC on behalf of his client at the sentencing hearing on Wednesday. The references were provided on Pinchers' behalf by Worcester jeweller Anya Potze and radio station owner Murph Murfin, who said that Pinchers had done much for charity in the city and supported the Swan Theatre. Mr Murfin, speaking after Pinchers was jailed, said he deserved a clip round the ear and should have been made to pay the woman compensation but has no plans to sever ties, describing Pinchers as perfectly harmless. Mr Murfin told the Worcester News, he's stupid sticking stuff up his nose. I'm dead against drugs, I really am. He's never sold them. Giving it away is still bad, and if he has that sort of habit, he needs to give it up. He wants a thump round the ear and should pay compensation under a very strict community order. He can still do so much good. 
He feels really sorry for his family, who are going to be the people that suffer. It's such a shame. His family are lovely. He can do so much for Worcester and for charities. Locking people up doesn't work with a lot of people. It's a waste of money, and the prisons are overloaded. The jury found Pinchers guilty of offering to supply cocaine to the woman at a private room in Browns on Friday, September the 11th, 2015. Pinchers offered her cocaine, which she refused, and when he'd snorted the drug himself, he swept items off the desk and demanded sex, the court heard. The woman said she'd been terrified and spoke about how she planned to sell up and leave Worcester. Pinchers was also convicted of possession of cocaine after he was caught by police attempting to flush the Class A drug down the sink, only for officers to take him to the floor in his bathroom in Barclay Gardens, Fernhill Heath, near Worcester, on January the 13th last year. The judge told Pinchers during the sentencing hearing that he'd known of the problems the victim, then aged 40, was having with her partner because of a conversation she had a week before he offered her the cocaine. Judge Anthony Potter said, I have no way of knowing whether it was that conversation that persuaded you to make your approaches to her on the evening. He also made reference to her victim personal statement in which the woman said she trusted Pinches as he'd never been anything other than helpful and respectful to her in the past. The judge said, You instructed a member of staff to bring the cocaine and you produced that cocaine. You had every opportunity, by dint of the interruption by another member of staff, to put the cocaine away and not offer it to her. But instead, you became terse with the member of staff and sent him away and returned to the five or so lines of cocaine you'd lined up. You offered her that cocaine. That is the stark issue behind the conviction. You encouraged her to take the cocaine Despite the fact she'd indicated to you she wasn't interested, you put pressure on her and said it would be, quote, our secret. The judge added, It's quite evident to me from the evidence that you're extremely fond of your children and equally aware of the effect the proceedings and this conviction have had upon them. I have no doubt that is something you profoundly regret. I bear in mind the strain you've been under in the course of these proceedings. I want killer kept inside. Child murderer McGreevy must stay in jail, says City's MP. Robin Walker, Worcester MP, is leading the efforts to ensure that triple child murderer David McGreevy remains behind bars. Mr Walker has sent a letter to the parole board calling for a review into Mr McGreevy's release, saying it's a case people feel extremely strongly about given the horrific nature. I do not believe David McGreevy should be released. A life's sentence should mean life. I have spoken with the Lord Chancellor and I do feel very strongly about this. Mr Walker confirmed that he had written a letter to the parole board asking for the decision to be overturned, saying that normal practice may not have been followed. What was supposed to happen was that they would contact me to see if there are any local concerns around him being released. I have had no communication from them on that, so I'm hoping we can get the decision overturned. I am still waiting for a reply to my letter in which I raised the concerns of my constituents as well as my own objection to his release. If he were released, I would do everything I could to keep him out of Worcester. They should be very strict with not letting him come here because it is clear that people do not want him. 
Mr McGreevy was convicted in 1973 for the murders of Paul Rolfe, aged four, and his sisters Dawn, two, and Samantha, who was just nine months old at the time. When news broke of his potential release, the parole board stated that he had changed considerably since his conviction when he was aged 21. The report into McGreevy stated that he had, quote, changed considerably and that he has developed self-control as well as a considerable understanding of the problems that he has had and what caused them. The psychologist identified a number of factors which make it less likely that Mr McGreevy will offend in the future. These included his improved self-control and the fact that Mr McGreevy has learnt to remain calm in stressful situations. A police team targeting drug dealers have made 124 arrests and reduced violent crime by 25% in Worcester in 12 months. The South Worcester Proactive CID team are targeting county lines drug dealers where narcotics are brought into the county from other cities. Officers have shut down 26 drug lines, seized over £40,000 in cash and recovered weapons including machetes, axes, acid, ammonia, knives and CS canisters. Detective Sergeant Luke Papps, who is head of the team, said figures showed that the number of violent crimes recorded in Worcester in the past 12 months was down 25% on the previous 12 months. After a spike in drug-related and violent crime, a team was formed to focus on county lines as part of the police's Operation Blade War on drug dealing launched in September 2017. DS Paps's team consists of one sergeant and eight officers. DS Paps said the overall objective of the operation was prevention and detection of drug-related crime and disorder and protecting the most vulnerable from harm. The team has daily intelligence briefings to identify new people dealing in the South Worcestershire area. Many of the gangs use a certain phone number to organise their dealing. They travel from cities such as Birmingham and Liverpool into smaller areas like Worcester and often use the homes of local addicts to, to sell drugs, a practice known as cuckooing. Sometimes there's coercion or threats, but sometimes drug users will allow it to happen, said DS Paps. Sometimes the residents are offered free drugs in exchange for allowing the dealers to use their address. DS Paps's team uses, uses warrants to visit these cuckoo addresses and if someone is found to be vulnerable, they safeguard them. This takes the form of regular visits and work with housing and rehabilitation organisations such as Fortis Living and Swanswell. Sometimes children and young people are used by the gangs to carry drugs. In one recent investigation, a 13-year-old was found to be concealing drugs in their rear and they were then helped by police to get the appropriate care. In 2017, Kazim Ali was identified as a Birmingham gang member involved in the AKY drug line. DS Paps told the Worcester News, He was arrested having driven into Worcester. We believed he was carrying drugs internally. The team asked the court to allow an extension of the time they could keep Ali in custody and he was held for, ne for nearly five days and subsequently he went to the toilet and passed £1,000 worth of Class A drugs. Ali was ultimately sentenced to four years in prison for his involvement in drug dealing. 
Right. The next story is from Tuesday, December the 11th, and the headline is Betrayed. City's Muslim community furious over police's ruling on EDL chants, EDL being the English Defence League, and it's going to be referred to as EDL throughout this piece. The city's Muslim community feels betrayed after police ruled EDL protesters did not commit a crime after allegedly chanting a racist language against Islam during a city rally. West Mercia Police carried out two investigations into reports of the inflammatory chants made during the far-right group's demonstration in Worcester on September the 1st, including reviewing video footage on social media. However, having also consulted with the Metropolitan Police Operation Public Command Unit and senior lawyers from West Midlands CPS, the force has deemed no criminal offences under the Public Order Act had taken place. Campaigner Uznan Ghazi said he and others in the city's Muslim community want Chief Superintendent Mark Travis to step down after allegedly promising arrests would be made. Mr Ghazi said Superintendent Travis made the assurances during a meeting following the English Defence League's initial protest against the new mosque in the city on July the 21st. We were assured by Mark Travis they would be arrested if they chanted slogans openly against Muslims. However, now we're told somewhat different, he said. I understand if the law prohibits them from arresting those involved, but then my argument is, why give us false hopes? He continued, shame on you, Travis. South Worcestershire's superintendent, Damien Pettit, said the investigation involved reviewing body-worn footage, CCTV and online videos, including on social media and YouTube. As a result of this, it was deemed that no criminal offences under the Public Order Act had taken place. We attend meetings regularly with various groups in the community and fed the results back to them. We revisited the original decision following feedback from some of the communities in Worcestershire with the benefit of some further video footage being given to police by people who were present, he continued. The superintendent went on to say that Worcester is not a place of regular protest and I absolutely understand how some of the protesters' behaviour may be offensive to our community. In no way do I diminish the impact of the protests, but upon a second review it was concluded that no further charges were forthcoming, he added. Mr Ghazi, one of numerous members of a Muslim youth group to meet with Chief Superintendent Travis in July, said in light of the decision, we have full confidence in the law, but not in those imparting it. He said the EDL marchers who allegedly chanted the inflammatory slogans offended every single Muslim with their behaviour. We live peacefully. We protested peacefully on September the 1st. But once you're chanting like that, it crosses a boundary. It's highly offensive. He said if he or any other members of the Muslim community had chanted slogans inciting racism against another group in a public place, we would be arrested, and rightfully so. But why is it different in this case? 
Mr Ghazi claimed that he witnessed a fellow Muslim being issued with a dispersal order in Wards Lane on the morning of September the 1st, preventing him from entering the city centre. The same man was then arrested soon after and held in Hereford for the day, he claimed, likening it to the treatment of undesirables in Nazi Germany. Superintendent Pettit went on to say, I've taken the fact that our community felt able to challenge police and partners on the policing and arrangements for the protests as a sign we have the trust, ability and forums to exchange views openly and frankly. We won't always agree on all issues. But one thing that doesn't differ is our desire and wish to remain a close community and one that moves on to develop an even closer working He continued, it's difficult to balance at large protests the rights to freedom of speech under the Human Rights Act and offences under the Public Order Act. The feedback we've had, both positive and negative, is really valuable for informing any future planning and making our community feel reassured and safe. We did receive a lot of positive feedback on the day from members of the public who felt they were kept safe whilst being able to express their right to protest and those going about their normal business in the city. The superintendent added that the constabulary's safer neighbourhood teams are continuing to develop wider opportunities to engage and listen to our community over and above what already exists. Um, we issued a dispersal order throughout Worcester City Centre on the 1st of September. One member of the public was arrested and taken to Hereford for custody. The fixed penalty notice was reviewed and subsequently rescinded, and the individual that was a subject to the notice has been fully updated. In, in, in brief, on September the 1st, around 150 supporters of the EDL who said they were marching in opposition to plans for a new mosque on Stanley Road, were opposed by an estimated 500 counter-protesters. Dozens of police officers from across the Midlands were utilised, with the two groups of protesters only allowed within 150 metres of each other. Speaking at the time, Chief Superintendent Travis said the three arrests made were low-level issues and did not involve violence. Okay, Wednesday's headline was Outsider Taxis Hit City Trade. Taxi drivers across the city have said that trade is suffering and passenger safety is at risk because, quote, every Tom, Dick and Harry is being allowed to ply their trade in the city. More than 150 drivers crammed into the Guildhall on Monday to show councillors their frustration at dwindling trade in the city, fuelled by an influx of taxis from across the county that they believe are not being held to the same high safety standards as those in Worcester. Raja Hussain, chairman of the Worcester Taxi Drivers Association, told the City Council's Licensing and Environmental Health Committee that the city's taxi trade is suffering because cars from across the county and licensed by different councils are driving to Worcester and sitting in the city's ranks waiting for customers. He said taxi drivers in the city were having to spend between 15 and 18,000 pounds to meet exacting standards required to be granted a taxi license by Worcester City Council. Mr Hussein told the meeting he knew of a driver that had left Worcester unable to get a license only to return to the city to work when he had been granted a license by Witchhaven District Council. He said, "We are held to very high standards here in the city of Worcester." If we are going to hold these standards, we should hold other people accountable. Where is the safety for passengers? 
If we care about passengers so much and we are passionate about safety, then we should bring them up to our standards. Mr Hussein said it was diabolical that the same safety standards for Worcester were not being held in the rest of the county. However, Witchhaven District Council has stressed its taxis are safe. A spokesman for the council said the policies to allocate taxi licences are determined by the individual council. This does not mean that taxis in one area or another are unsafe. It is simply a differing policy. Mr Hussein said that he had seen private hire vehicles picking up passengers illegally on the street multiple times. He also said he saw taxis licensed by Witchhaven District Council waiting in the Fourgate Street taxi rank, although they are legally entitled to do so. He said, the trade is suffering. You only have to go and look at the ranks to see that the taxis are hanging around a lot longer than before. Mohammed Sajad, also from the Worcester Taxi Drivers Association, told councillors that the ball was in their court and it was up to the council to take action. Representatives of the city's taxi drivers also criticised a plan to introduce livery and branding to hackney carriages in the city. Mr Hussein said, whilst the trade's income is going down, we are expected to fork out more money. One of the colours being banded around is white, so you're going to have to find a vehicle that is around two years old. You're going to have to find a vehicle with a good service record, most likely with one previous owner, in excellent condition. And now you've got to find it in white and it's got to be an auto. I think you're going to be struggling. We need to think about it very carefully before we start to move forward. The decision to continue looking at introducing livery to the city's hackney carriages split the council's licensing and environmental health committee, but it was passed by six votes to four. The council's initial estimate of adding branding to taxes would be between two and three hundred pounds. Councillor Louise Griffiths said, I like the idea. I think it would look nice, but that initial cost does worry me. When we are asking drivers to mend their vehicles to such a high standard and then on top of that to add livery to their vehicles, I think it's just too much. It's an expense that is simply not affordable for most drivers. Councillor Roger Knight, supporting the idea of taxi branding, said it would be, make passengers feel more comfortable and know they were in safe hands using a Worcester City taxi. Councillor Knight said adopting the livery did not necessarily mean the burden of paying for it would be solely on the taxi driver, and continuing the work would allow the council to look at whether it could subsidise some of the cost. He said, I do support this, but I don't support the idea of it being an extra cost for the taxi drivers. And uh, today's headline, that's Thursday, December the 13th, Open the Gates. Firms appeal to help trade. Businesses under the city's railway arches are desperate for a set of gates to be opened to allow for an increase in footfall, says a micro-pub owner. Mike Davis opened the Arch Rivals pub and brewery in Netherton Court, Worcester, in September and said premises owners Network Rail promised the gates behind the hive would be opened by the end of that month. Obviously, it's now Christmas and it's still closed, said the 37-year-old. As far as I could work out, everyone was OK with it. Network Rail said it was fine. The council said it was fine. The university said it was fine. But they don't seem to have done anything about it. He said, it's really difficult to understand who owns the gates and who owns the land. 
because it's kind of a very conjoined bit of Worcester. Network Rail own up to a certain point, the university own up to a certain point, the Hive and the council are involved somewhere along the line as well. It's a bit complex, said Mr Davis. Other businesses along the strip include the Burger Shop, Method Coffee Roasters, Fit360 Rise Gym and Print and Design, all of whom, Mr Davis said, are equally as frustrated in what he called the forgotten end of town. Customers regularly walk up to the gates from the wrong side and are confused about how to access the strip or coming from the other way, and they say it is a dead end, explained Mr Davis. Every day I have three or four customers telling me I should get those gates opened and I'm having to tell them every time I'd love to, he continued. The guys along here all say it would make such a difference to have footfall and make people more aware there's things going on in this area, which at the moment is certainly my biggest struggle because I'm in a dead end effectively. Having nobody walk past your front door every day does make it very hard to run a business. It's an ongoing saga. The business owner said he understands the sticking point from the Hive's perspective is the health and safety aspect. He said he was told the long-term plan is to remove the gates, but for the time being would be happy for just one side to be unbolted if needs be, to prevent cars driving up it. It just makes so much more sense, and it would open Worcester up, not just from a business point of view, said Mr Davis. It'd be a great cut-through. It's so much quicker than walking around up the Butts or Castle Street. He also described the Strip as a great secure area for students to walk through when going to the Hive and St John's and back, as well as people for people going to work. In October, the City Council announced its City Centre Master Plan, which aims to create a mixture of new homes, offices, restaurants, bars and shops, creating 8,000 more jobs and build 3,000 homes by 2040. Mr Davis said... The master plan has the railway arches as the primary focus and the plans for down here are amazing and if that continues to follow through, it would be great. But the simplest start to that project is to open some gates and allow people to walk past. Mr Davis runs the pub and brewery alone, having put everything into it, everything I've got into getting the place up and running. He had worked previously as a warehouse and operations manager. He said new pubs opening in the city is a rarity and when people don't know you exist, it's even more difficult. It's a really cool feature, this place, all the arches, all the potential and the plan to pedestrianise this completely and hopefully more businesses can then come and we can make it a real venue for Worcester. Everywhere's done it, Manchester and London, they've all got these great businesses under the arches and Worcester's just a bit slow off the mark, but it's got potential. A spokeswoman for the Hive said, Both the County Council and University strongly support the increased usage of the arches by independent businesses who make such a positive contribution to Worcester. The University and County Council are working with Worcester City Council and other partners to ensure all appropriate measures are in place before the gates are opened to provide a safe route for pedestrians along the path. A spokesman for the City Council said, There is an aspiration in the draft city centre master plan to have the arches fully open but has not yet been adopted and network rail was unavailable for comment when approached by the Worcester News. Well good luck Mr Davis. So those are the headlines and Catherine is now going to start with some of the um, other news articles and features from the papers over the last week. 
Yes. <clears throat> Thank you, Pippa. Right. So the first story is a question, who helped a dying cat? A grandmother is desperate to find the young man who took her cat to a vet after he'd been run over by a van and subsequently died. Marcella Adams, who is 70 and lives near Blackpool in Worcester, said she was devastated over the death of little Tiggy, but found some comfort in the knowledge that a kind young man had tried to help her beloved pet Tabby Cat. She said that Tiggy died after he was hit by a van somewhere near her home um, on on Thursday, that's Thursday the week before last, in fact. But the driver didn't stop, possibly because he or she didn't realise they'd run over the cat. Mrs Adams received a phone call from Vets for Pets on Blackpool Trading Estate and they informed her that Tiggy had been run over by a van and a man, not the driver of the van that hit the cat, had brought him in. Sadly, by the time the man handed Tiggy over to the vets, the cat was dead. The man was described as being about six foot one and in his twenties with brown hair and he was driving a van. He didn't leave a name or contact details, said Mrs Adams. It was a bit distressing for me because I would like to know where Tiggy was run over and how it happened. He must have been out in the street, Mrs Adams added. I'd like a contact number for the gentleman who was so kind to take the trouble to pick him up and take him to the vet. If this guy hadn't taken him in, I would still be out in the garden looking for Tiggy. I'd like to say thank you for being so kind. Mrs Adams said, because Tiggy is chipped, they only had to run a scan on him and my details and number came up, which is good really, because at least I know, otherwise I wouldn't know what had happened to him. Mrs Adams said there were no marks or visible injuries and she believes Tiggy was killed by the impact of the collision. Mrs Adams said... We sometimes called him Little Sprouty because he was such a lovely, naughty little lad. Tiki is just over a year old. He's really lovely and friendly. We called him Little Tiggy. He comes in and out through the cat flap and we've got a massive garden. I never thought he'd get into the road, but clearly he did. So, Yes, indeed. Right, my story is from Friday's newspaper, December the 7th, that is, Facelift for Shambles. Two tired and outdated city streets are set to be given a major makeover. Worcestershire County Council has revealed a new look for the shambles and for Church Street. Included in the scheme are plans to widen footpaths, introduce segregated loading bays, remove obstructions, plant street trees and carry out other updates to improve the overall look and feel of the two streets. These plans come four years after the death of Sylvia Russell, who was crushed by a bin lorry outside Argos in the shambles in 2014. Miss Russell died aged 69 after being crushed by a Smith's Waste Management of Gloucester truck. At the time, calls were made for an extension to the hours that delivery lorries were barred from entering the pedestrianised areas, and many said that the city centre street should be fully pedestrianised. However, Councillor Ken Pollock, Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet Member with responsibility for economy and infrastructure, said that although the new loading bays were a sensible move, Mrs Russell's death was not the primary motivator for them. He said, The work is part of what we want to do in the city of Worcester. It's part of our general improvement of a number of roads in the county from Redditch right through to Tenbury. The County Council's Town and City Centre Improvements Programme aims to carry out the makeover in the new year, once Seven Trent has completed its mains renewal work. 
The scheme is being delivered in partnership with Worcester City Council, which is also jointly funding the project. Councillor Pollock, Pollock added, I'm delighted to announce this much-needed scheme to improve to important streets. Both are within the Worcester Historic City Conservation Area and will complement the improvements made in other areas of the city over the past few years. People have been invited to view the plans and talk to the project team at two public information sessions and the main improvement works will start in spring. Now, we've missed those two sessions because they were on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. But the article does go on to say that more information can be found at worcestershire.gov.uk forward slash shambles. And any comments can be submitted via email to majorprojects at worcestershire.gov.uk by December the 28th. And here's a story for, well, a festive story, really. Generous, Generous offer to cafe. A city centre restaurant has offered the use of its restaurant to host a Christmas dinner for rough sleepers after seeing an appeal in the Worcester News. Kate Page, manager of Friar Street Kitchen, said they wanted to do something to support Worcester Street Cafe after seeing the paper's story that it needed location for a Christmas dinner. The cafe, which serves homeless people hot food from a van in Copenhagen Street, is running as normal on Tuesday, December the 25th. But founder Sharon Montani told the Worcester News they wanted a one-off indoor spot for the big day. Writing on Facebook, Kate Page said, It's that time of year where you can't help but think of others less fortunate than you, even more so than usual. Matthew and I have decided to offer the street cafe use of our restaurant on Christmas Day to feed the homeless in the city within a cosy, warm and festive environment. Sharon and her team will be cooking up some festive treats for people who need it. If anyone has anything they would like to donate to help make the day special for all, then that would be appreciated. The list of items the charity service needs can be found at amazon.co.uk slash gp slash registry slash wishlist slash eight capital T zero capital N Z H six nine zero capital Z two capital D. Speaking to the Worcester News, Kate Page said they were not after the publicity for their generosity as they just wanted to do something to help. We will be offering seven thirty to nine thirty on the day for the cafe to use the restaurant space, she said. It's a nice thing to do for Christmas. It is Christmas Day for everyone, after all. Mrs Multani said she was aware of the offer but didn't wish to comment further. Along with around half a dozen others, Mrs Multani will be sleeping rough on December the 14th to raise money for the cafe and the fundraiser was also due to take part in a skydive from 12,500 feet to raise money for the street cafe. The next story is about uh, a primary school which um, some of you may be very familiar with. Uh, It's about uh, Pitmaston Primary School and uh, it's about its history. Back in 1988, the teachers and pupils of Pitmaston Primary School in Worcester decided to skip their annual Christmas panto production and opted instead for a story called Mother Christmas's Journey. 
The school stage was transformed from the freezing North Pole to Bethlehem, with stops in New York, the African jungle, Australia and London, as Mother Christmas took along mince pies and helped Father Christmas deliver presents all over the world, all without leaving Malvern Road, St John's. There's a page of pictures from the show, which sadly failed to make the West End, in our Pitmaston School file, and one of young Gemma Chapman is reproduced here picture of a very pretty little girl. Not sure what Gemma's part in all that was, but if you had the choice between the jungle, New York, Australia or London, you might settle for a very young pearly queen. Ah. Anyway, the whole shebang showed the imagination of all and sundry at what was Worcester's first primary school to open after the Second World War. It began life on March the 1st, 1948, in an old manor house in Malvern Road called Pitmaston House, next to the large open space Pitmaston Park. With the growth of the St John's area, it had been established to relieve the pressure on the existing schools, and on the first day, 23 young pupils aged 5 and 6 were admitted. There was a steady increase in numbers, and soon it was necessary to create a second class. However, the old property was in pretty poor shape, having not been repaired during the war years when it was occupied by the National Fire Service. Only two rooms were fit to be used as classrooms. One of them, the former conservatory, became the home of the admission class and was known as the sunroom. But the potential of the new school soon became apparent, as did the potential of the old house, and major alterations and adaptations were made while schooling continued. Every year, the school took over a new room, until by 1952, every suitable room was in use. Within four years of opening, Pitmaston Primary had more than 200 children in six classes spread across the property. It became obvious that an expansion of the site was necessary if Pitmaston was to continue to cope, and the decision was made to create separate junior and infants departments. The new junior facility was built on the other side of the old house's large lawn, and the project was watched with keen interest by the young scholars. A report by the headmistress at the time, a lady called Miss Ellis, said, At last, in 1953, a time came for our two departments to separate. It was with rather mixed feelings that the two pioneer members of staff watched the first of our pupils leave the old house. Along with us, they journeyed through those difficult years, and now they were setting foot upon the promised land. And the rest, as they say, is history. Cool. Council tax is set to rise. Council tax is set to rise by almost 4% next year to plug a £23 million gap in funding caused by the ever-increasing cost of social care. The rise, the equivalent of 93 pence a week extra on a band D property announced by Worcestershire County Council yesterday, includes 1% of ring-fenced money to pay for adult social care. The County Council has said that it would spend almost £22 million extra on such care next year. The increased spending comes after almost £18 million of extra money was spent on children's and adult services this year. To balance its budget for next year, the County Council has proposed saving £3 million by completely reshaping the authority a further £3 million from waste management contract renegotiations and other measures, including cutting agency staff over Christmas and renegotiating how it pays off its debts. 
around 200,000 of the 1 million required savings from the council's library budget would be cut next year. Councillor Simon Geraghty, leader of the county council, said that whilst Worcestershire has one of the fastest growing economies in the country, the council's budget is set to rise by more than 6 million to 330 million next year, the increasing cost of caring for the county's most vulnerable children and adults is not matching the pace of growth. He said, These are challenging financial times for all councils who have responsibility for caring for the most vulnerable people in our society. We are growing the Worcestershire economy and new homes and businesses are helping to boost our income. However, we are facing pressures due to the increase in demand for social care. There is a growing consensus around the need for a national funding solution for adult social care and we await the government's green paper. In the meantime, this council has to reprioritise resources to meet those needs. The budget that we are proposing includes significant investment into adult social care and into improving the lives of the county's children and young people. We also intend to continue to support measures to grow the economy, improve our infrastructure to tackle congestion and redesign this organisation. The Council also announced that £50 million would be available in capital investment, money for long-term projects to support growth and regeneration. The draft budget will be discussed by the County Council's Cabinet at its meeting today. A jealous man broke a man's nose, joy and eye socket. Joy? That's not quite right. Jaw and eye socket during a moment of madness when he attacked a man in his 60s from behind. Christopher Farron punched Gerald Ellis and kicked him while he lay on the ground during the attack Worcester Crown Court heard on Friday. The 54-year-old became jealous because Mr Ellis was talking to his partner and CCTV footage of the attack was played to the court. Mr Ellis suffered injuries described as catastrophic by the judge, including a broken jaw and three other fractures of his face around the eye, which has permanently affected the position of the eye. In a victim personal statement, read out by Prosecutor Thomas Griffiths, Mr Ellis said he had had to have 13 or 14 stitches in his face and required six hospital appointments. He said, My right eye now sits back further than my other eye and will never right itself. I want my eyes to look like they did before, when they were even. Prosecutor Mr Griffiths argued that it was a Category 1 offence which involved a a shod foot and serious injuries. He said it's an aggravating feature that the kick was delivered while the victim was on the floor. That could suggest he is particularly vulnerable at this point, not being able to defend himself. Adam Williams defending argued that it was a Category 2 case with a starting point of one and a half years in prison and a range of one to three years. Mr Williams said when his client was approached by a police officer, he immediately accepted what he had done. He describes this simply as a moment of madness. It was a jealous rage. He added he feels sick every time he talks about it. He feels thoroughly disgusted in his own actions. Farron has four previous convictions for ten separate offences, including an old conviction from 1994 for assault occasioning actual bodily harm. Judge Robert Dukes, QC, said... He had got into a conversation with a woman with whom you were associated. 
In what I am prepared to accept was a moment of madness and quite out of character, you attacked him and it was a vicious attack. From the CCTV footage he had reviewed from Rubri's social club where the attack took place, he said it appeared to be a single blow that had floored the victim, followed by one or two kicks. The defendant allowed himself to be ushered away by the woman and someone else assisting her. But the judge added... The results of that attack were catastrophic. You broke his nose. Most seriously, you broke the bones around his right eye, so it has caused a movement of the orbit of the eye, which he describes, and I have no doubt that you accept completely, is going to be a matter of embarrassment for many years to come, probably for life. You must think it is absolutely incomprehensible what you did. Farron of Wetty Lane Rubri said from the dock, It's disgusting. The judge sentenced him to two years in prison, suspended for two years. He must pay £6,000 in compensation to the victim in one lump sum within 12 months. He was placed on a weekend curfew between 6am and 7am on Friday and between 6pm and 4am on Sunday for six months. Right, the next story has the headline, Shut Buffet Replaced. The owner of a new restaurant, which has replaced a former buffet that mysteriously shut down, claims it will be ten times better. Q Panda will be opening in Cathedral Square in Worcester, taking over from the previous all-you-can-eat restaurant, Kung Fu Oriental. The new owner, Leo Huang, said, We've named the restaurant to symbolise China, as the panda is the animal which represents the country. Also, the queue will symbolise quality as we hope to offer top-value food and service to the community. Q Panda will host an array of events intended to provide a buzz to Cathedral Square and reach out to the community. Mr Huang is looking to hire Worcester Street dancers to create a new element and bring something different to the square. The opening of the new eatery will take place on December the 21st at noon, where staff members will take part in a lion dance and flaunt their moves to the city. Mr Huang added, It's Chinese tradition to have a lion dance on the day of a new business opening up. It's a wonderful piece of art. We hope everyone will enjoy it. We will be ten times better than Kung Fu, as we believe we will bring passion to a whole new level. We want the visitors' experience to be memorable and for our guests to try our oriental food. The restaurant has kept its buffet format and will provide traditional Chinese and Indian dishes. Q Panda are hiring and looking for 10 more members to join them. They've currently taken on 10 local people by contacting Worcester University and offering students a job opportunity. Sounds fun. Now, yesterday's paper contained a review of the Christmas Panto. Oh, no, it didn't. Oh, yes, it did. And it is Maid Marian, as you'll have heard Pippa say earlier on, and the Merry Men. Writer Chris Yeager sends his silver-tipped arrow winging through the boughs of the Greenwood and creates a monster of a show that has us all a quiver from start to finish. In this year of the woman, he's turned the whole mythology on its head to suggest that not only was the wicked sheriff of Nottingham female, but the legendary Robin Hood was actually a woodland wimp who preferred strumming a guitar rather than twanging a longbow. Oh yes, there are no Norman soldiers left gibbering in their jerkins when Tom Riddell's Robin Hood sashays into the clearing. 
He's about as much use as a chocolate bowstring, none of which matters that much because it's made Marion who wears the codpiece in this neck of the woods. Genevieve Lowe was the lady in question, demolishes once and for all the age-old notion of delicate damsels trembling with expectation on the battlements, waiting for true loves to start scrambling up the ivy. And if your preconceptions are already being stretched further than several feet of finest you would, then take a second look at Jamie Kwasnick's Friar Tuck, a slim figure of a man who definitely needs to put away, on a daily basis preferably, an entire roast oxen and a gallon of mead under his habit. Yes, bang, twang, thwack goes another cliché. Liz Grand didn't win the best baddie showbiz accolade for no reason, and as ever the booing comes thick and fast, jeers falling on this particular sheriff thicker than the deadly showers at Agincourt. A vision of black darker than the dungeons of Nottingham Castle, she lurches about like an out-of-control siege tower, pouring molten metal and boiling oil on all who challenge her. Meanwhile, Mystic Mary, Heidi Gowthorpe, enchants, Willie Wally, Charlie Ryan excels as a blithering idiot, and Wilf Williams provides buckets of pitch darkness as Guy of Gisborne. Maid Marion and the Merry Men runs until Sunday, January 6th. I don't think there's really anything we can read after that, Phil. It's <laughs> top the, um, the good news stories, although I have one here uh, about a police cancer fundraiser. Bobby's walked a new beat as they raised three times the expected total during a charity trek for a colleague who successfully battled prostate cancer. West Mercia Police's Shift E response team from Worcester Police Station surpassed all expectations when they completed their March for Men over a distance of 15 miles last month, raising £1,419, three times the target they set themselves. The walk was organised to raise awareness of prostate cancer following one of E-Shift being diagnosed with the disease. A spokesperson for the shift said... The officer has since undergone treatment and an operation, followed by a period of recuperation and has now thankfully been given the all clear and is back at work on full frontline duty, working for the community. The shift feel that Prostate Cancer UK is a great charity to support and thoroughly enjoyed the walk from Worcester Police Station along the River Severn out to the Holtfleet pub. A huge thank you to the staff and management of the Holtfleet who provided us with some sandwiches, chips and water for free in support of the charity. We had collected £5 from each officer to pay for food but they allowed us to put that money towards the sponsorship. A long weary walk back, most of the shift's personal dogs were still in the running and managed to make the whole 15 miles. We completed the walk in good time and were grateful for the weather being on our side. On our side. We've had many donations from family, friends, colleagues and the general public through gift aid and have managed to raise almost three times our £500 target. Thank you to everyone who supported us and helped raise awareness of prostate cancer. The walk will now be publicised on Facebook through the Prostate Cancer UK website to persuade others to organise their own walk. A former magistrate has appeared in court accused of speeding. Karen Harvey of Lysinton Road, Malvern, denied two counts of speeding and one of failing to give information relating to the identification of the driver of a vehicle when required when she appeared at Hereford Mag Magistrates Court.
The first speeding charge said that on April the 17th on the A40 in Pencraig, she exceeded the 50 mile per hour speed limit while travelling towards Monmouth. The second speeding charge said that on April the 20th on the A4103 at Frooms Hill, she exceeded the 40 mile per hour speed limit. Both were recorded on manned equipment. Harvey Luss sat as a magistrate in Worcester in 2015-16. She was placed on the supplemental list last year, which means she no longer sits in court to adjudicate or hear cases. She will next appear at Hereford Magistrates Court on January the 7th, when a trial date will be set. More road-related news now from Saturday's newspaper. Sort out congestion, the headline runs. One of the county's biggest bus providers has vowed to continue providing a sustainable network for Worcester, but said congestion on the city's main routes is preventing it from providing a reliable service. First Bus Worcestershire, which runs the majority of bus services in the city, has said Worcester's congestion problem needs to be addressed because it has a major effect on how it runs its buses during rush hour and at the weekend. The call was in response to a draft bus review discussed at a County Council scrutiny meeting on Wednesday, December the 5th. A spokesman for First Bus Worcestershire said, We will continue to work with Worcestershire County Council, local councillors and stakeholders to deliver a sustainable network of bus services for people living in Worcester and the surrounding areas where demand is required. One problem that needs urgent attention is congestion, especially along the main corridors in and out of the city, as it is having a major effect on reliability. Bus services can help resolve the problem of congestion and also improve air quality within the city, as one bus can carry the equivalent of at least 30 cars at any one time. Think of what a difference that could make to traffic flows within the city if people considered choosing the bus over the car to make journeys for work, leisure or to attend appointments. The draft paper, compiled by a council cross-party scrutiny group, called on the authority to take a long-term strategic approach to public transport. Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Member for Highways, said We have been working with FIRST over recent months to identify changes in the network that can achieve improvements to journey times. We've carried out works in the Butts and Fourgate Street, as well as looking at pinch points along corridors throughout the city. We are looking to carry out signal improvements along these and other routes, including between the city and hospital. We will continue to do this as we look to make improvements for all across the highway network. Keep your home safe. This article is about, uh, yes, how to keep your home safe. A councillor has called for residents to ensure their home security is up to scratch after recent break-ins. Councillor Louis Stephen, who represents Batten Hall of Worcester City Council, has called for more vigilance following burglaries in London Road and Norton Close in recent weeks. Having suffered a break-in himself several years ago in which his car keys were stolen from his family home, the Green Party councillor was keen to raise the issue with city residents. At this time of year, it goes dark from about 3.30pm and an unlit house is an advertisement that you're not at home, he said. Since most thieves are opportunists, it really makes sense to invest in one or two low-cost plug-in timers to control the lights to come on at about dusk. Police are continuing to investigate a robbery at a man's home on London Road on December the 1st in which he was threatened with a screwdriver. 
Officers investigating the incident have issued a renewed appeal for information after five robbers raided the property at around 6.30pm. In a separate incident, Councillor Stephen said a home on Norton Close was broken into via the rear entrance, similar to how his home was broken into previously. Referring to his break-in, he said, they've stole our car keys and then joyrode our car before abandoning it burnt out. We had a visit from the Police Crime Prevention Service and with their help drastically improved our security. A key thing to improve is the security of any side gates to the rear of your property. It's essential this remains locked. He said, if someone can gain access to the back of the property and and it is in a secluded location, they can spend time breaking in. If the side gate is secured, that won't happen. It sounds trivial, but it's not always done and can make a big difference. He said, particularly at this time of year, people will be likely storing Christmas presents together in one place. For extra information, see westmercia.police.uk slash home dash security. Right. Uh, this story has the headline, Jail for Teen After Hoax Bomb Threat. A teenager has been jailed over bogus bomb threats he sent to schools in Worcestershire and others nationwide. George Duke Cohen twice targeted schools in the UK and US with hoax messages before phoning in a fake report of a hijacked aircraft while under investigation. The 19-year-old from Watford first created panic in March 2018 when he emailed thousands of schools in the UK warning about an explosive. More than 400 schools were evacuated, according to the National Crime Agency, and the Worcester News reported on how Red Hill Primary School in the city sent children home early after receiving the email in which threats were made suggesting pupils would be harmed when they left the premises. The email sent to schools read, You can ignore this email and risk the lives of the students you say you care for, or you can listen to what we're telling you. The only way out is to go out with a bang. A car will drive into as many students as possible as they try to leave. If you try and evacuate, then the driver will get out and shoot any student leaving. St Richard's C of E First School, Blackminster Middle School and Pebworth First School in Stratford-upon-Avon were among those in the county who were understood to have received the email. Duke Cohen was jailed for three years by Judge Richard Foster at Luton Crown Court on Friday. Jailing him, the judge said, you are playing a game for your own perverted sense of fun in full knowledge of the consequences. The scale of what you did was enormous. Schools were evacuated and where they were not, those in charge had to take agonising decisions. The passengers and crew on that flight on August the 9th must have been terrified when their plane was taken to a quarantined area. And apart from the financial cost, the onward travelling plans and connecting flights would have been in disarray. The judge also highlighted that Duke Cohen had bragged about his offending and had said how funny it was to make hoax calls. Duke Cohen was sentenced to one year in jail for the school emails and two years for the airport security scare in which the aircraft with 295 passengers on board had to be quarantined at San Francisco Airport. Next story is uh, one from Tuesday's newspaper and it's headed Panicking Rapper Fled from Police. 
An autistic rapper led police on a dangerous chase through Worcester before he crashed into a curb and ran away, trying to hide in the undergrowth. Provisional licence holder Mohammed Rahim, who was also uninsured, claimed he panicked as he sped away from police in his Vauxhall Vextra after they tried to stop him at a city garage forecourt. The 37-year-old, who described himself as a rapper, was jailed at Worcester Crown Court on Friday after admitting dangerous driving, driving without insurance and driving otherwise than in accordance with a licence. Thomas Griffiths, prosecuting, said two police cars were in a marked two police officers were in a marked car on February 28th this year when they noticed Rahim's Vectra facing the wrong way on a traffic island on the A4440 towards Lower Wick in Worcester. Checks revealed the car was uninsured, and police followed Rahim onto the forecourt of the BP service station, illuminating blue lights to get him to stop. He said the vehicle immediately made off at speed, so much so that the wheels span in protest. The car made contact with a roundabout, creating sparks from the front offside and hit a curb, causing it to come to a stop. The driver's door opened and the defendant ran from the vehicle. Police pursued him and after a very short foot chase, he was found hiding in some undergrowth in a nearby garden. Police later found a female passenger in the car. Rahim is a provisional licence holder, but no L-plates were displayed on the car and the passenger was under 21 and therefore could not have been supervising him. In interview, he admitted that he had no insurance or licence. With regard to the dangerous driving, he said that he had been diagnosed with autism and was prone to panicking, which is what he did when he saw police. The court heard how Rahim of Selwyn Road, Cambridge, had previous convictions for dishonesty, drugs offences and outraging public decency, but no relevant driving convictions. A month ago, he was fined for possession of cannabis. Adam Williams, defending, said his client had not driven on the wrong side of the road and that he accepted he was the driver. He said Rahim had panicked because of his autism and made, through that panic, a quite frightful and dreadful decision to evade police. He added, He instructs me he's a rapper and has 70,000 followers and has had a recent upturn in with his following. He's very proud of this. He's remorseful for what has happened. That can be shown in his plea. Rahim was described as providing support to other rappers, dividing youths, diver- diverting youths away from crime. Judge Jukes jailed him for eight months and disqualified him from driving for 16 months. He must also complete an extended driving retest. And the story is about libraries. Concerned library users in St John's turned up to voice their objections to proposed changes at the endangered City Library on Friday, as the County Council admitted a consultation questionnaire was difficult to understand. More than 80 residents crammed into the Glebe Close Library, with more standing outside, at a lively roadshow held by the County Council to find out the views of library users across the county. Councillor Lucy Hodgson, Cabinet Member for Communities, visited the library as part of the Council's review into how libraries operate in Worcestershire and what they should look like in the future. Councillor Richard Udall, who represents St John's and has been vocal about opposing the cuts to the library, said some of the, proposal, some of the proposed changes were not acceptable. Councillor Hodgson said she could not give any assurance that staff numbers would not be cut at the library. 
Many raised concerns over holding the meeting during the afternoon when parents were picking up children from school, as well as the difficulties in filling out the consultation questionnaire. One resident said St John's Library was more than just about books and it offered a comfortable meeting place for locals who would be terrorised by going to the hive. Some of the proposed changes outlined in this council's review include reducing hours, axing staff, handing libraries over to communities, co-locating them with other services or making them self-service. A consultation on the future of all the libraries across Worcestershire runs until February the 2nd as the council looks to cut one million from its library budget over the next three years. A final decision will be made in the spring. Well, I feel a bit bad that we're finishing our news on a rather downward beat, but uh, time for the sport, I'm afraid, or we will not have time for everything. So, Catherine, if you'd like to give us some sport news. Right then. OK, we're going to start with <clears throat> quite an upbeat story, which is free tickets to Six Ways for youngsters. Worcester Warriors hope to be roared on by 1,600 schoolchildren when they take on POW in the European Challenge Cup at Six Ways on Saturday, and that's December the 15th at 3pm. Free tickets have been distributed to 16 local schools as part of the club's initiative to forge closer links with the community and engage more with younger people. Eight teams from the schools will also take part in matches during the half-time interval of the POW match. Warriors co-owner Jed McCrory said, It's important for us to work with people at the heart of our community and engage the next generation of supporters. We invited head teachers, PE teachers and rugby coaches from 50 local schools to our last home match against Harlequins and we have distributed tickets for the power game as a Christmas present from the Warriors Board of Directors. Nunnery Wood PE teacher and England County's under-18s chairman of selectors, B. Bannister, has been helping us with this initiative and we're excited about seeing more schools here at Six Ways in the future. Bannister, a well-known figure in the school's rugby circles, will take the lead on helping Warriors improve links in the area. He's taught at Nunnery Wood High School in Worcester for more than 25 years and played as a prop for sale Cheltenham and Malvern. Bannister's long involvement with schools rugby at county, divisional and national levels includes stints as team manager of Midlands under-18s and chairman of selectors of England counties under-18s. Thank you, Catherine. Now, I've got a report of that game against Powell and incidentally, any odd nasal sounds that you hear will be my attempts at a French accent. Worcester Warriors fought tenaciously before suffering their first European Challenge Cup defeat of the season in the rain at the Stade du Hameau. Once again, Warriors were ferocious in defence, but two lapses at the start of each half proved costly as Powell's former New Zealand fly-half Colin Slade nipped in for two tries. Those tries apart, Warriors were a match for Powell in attack, but they again lacked the possession to convert it into tries. They had to settle for two first-half penalties from Jamie Silcock and the chance of a losing bonus point disappeared two minutes from time. Julien Blanc crossed for Powell's third try while Warriors had both locks Darren Barry and Andrew Kitchener down and requiring treatment. 
Warriors again got through another huge shift in defence and they will hope that they could avenge this defeat in better conditions when Powell visits Six Ways for the return on Saturday. The match was largely dictated then by the weather. When Warriors had their captain's run at the stadium in the morning, there was not a cloud in the sky, but by kick-off, heavy rain had swept in from the Pyrenees and it continued throughout the match. It made underfoot conditions very difficult and increased the importance of retaining valuable possession, a point that was made quite emphatically after just two minutes. A good carry from Kitchener was undone by a turnover and Powell were quick to launch a counter-attack, which saw Slade cross for a try under the posts, which he also converted. Warriors regrouped and pulled back three points with a well-struck penalty from Shilcock after ten minutes and another just before the half-hour, which reduced the lead to a single point. Slade was short with a long-range penalty attempt, but Powell's attempts to use their heavyweight forwards to batter their way to the line was frustrated by some tireless tackling from Warriors. Warriors lost Captain Wine and Olivier to a head injury assessment, which gave Will Butler his first rugby of the season before Olivier returned just before the break. The second half followed the same pattern as the first, with Slade scoring after two minutes when he tapped and ran a penalty that Powell seemed likely to kick for goal. Slade added the conversion, but Shilcock's 100% kicking record in the tournament disappeared when he pushed a 56th-minute penalty kick wide of the target. Injuries also disrupted Warriors in the second period when hooker Isaac Miller made his competitive debut as a replacement in the back row. Barry and Kitchener both had to leave the field after they received treatment for their injuries, while Irish referee Frank Murphy played, waved play on, and Blanc crossed for a deciding score, which Antoine Astoy improved. Good accent there, Phil. This is a football story. Worcester City goalkeeper Dan Joseph is staring down the barrel of a recommended six-month ban for the outburst which saw him sent off against Westfields. The ex-West Bromwich Albion and Walsall youngster was given his marching orders by referee James Cox after racing out of his goal to protest a fifth Westfields goal being allowed to stand in first-half stoppage time. Joseph, on dual registration with Tamworth, has admitted a charge of breaching Rule E3, improper conduct against a match official, including physical contact, violent conduct and threatening and or abusive language or behaviour. The case is being dealt with by Worcestershire FA, which is bound by national guidelines, recommending a 182-day ban, 26 weeks, plus up to a £150 fine, with the offence carrying a minimum of 84 days, that's 12 weeks, and a £100 fine. There is no maximum penalty, with the player's previous record, mitigation and aggravating circumstances taken into account when a three-strong commission at the county association decides the 20-year-old's fate. City got sent the charge on Friday, November the 30th, with Joseph understood to have pleaded guilty without requ requesting a personal hearing. He has submitted written evidence. A verdict must be reached within 28 days of the charge being raised, with the findings set to be published. Joseph will remain suspended until the case is closed. The FA has been in contact with the club and we will act accordingly once we know the outcome, said City Manager John Snape. Right, and this is another Worcester City football story, but it's a nostalgic one. 
Um, it's about a city's demolition job on local rivals, and it takes us back to 1968. Worcester produced a scintillating brand of attacking football in this Midland floodlit cup match at St George's Lane. That was the verdict of Peter Fulbrook, the Worcester News reporter covering City's 6-0 hammering of higher-ranked Cheltenham Town in the Midland Floodlit Cup in February 1968. Jerry Graham rattled in a hat-trick alongside two from Paddy Mullen and one from Stan Round, the prolific marksman picked up from Burton Albion. The team's biggest win for 18 months, one that extended to 15 matches their unbeaten run, was aided by three goals in five first-half minutes that shattered Cheltenham. Their final goal haul could well have reached double figures, wrote Fulbrook. It was one of the finest displays of attacking football seen on the ground for a long time, and the City players were given a standing ovation by the 1,493 spectators. Praise was understandably lavished on all in blue and white, but specific mention was given to left-wing partners Ernie Ward and Mullen, who stood out head and shoulders above the rest. That view was supported by a Cheltenham Town official who said, Your forward line is great. They're completely out of their class. You have the best wingers I've seen for a long time. Well done, Worcester City of the past. Right, we're going to move to some unseasonal cricket now. Leach's delight at return to training, says the headline. Joe Leach admits that he felt like a kid in a toy store after returning to full training at Blackfinch New Road following a lengthy injury layoff. The Worcestershire cricket captain has been going through his paces since the squad reported back in mid-November for their winter programme of strengthening and conditioning work up until the festive season. It was a frustrating few months for Leach, who was sidelined from early June with a stress fracture of the back and missed out on the county's first Vitality Blast Trophy Triumph. That's the 2020 competition. The 28-year-old had been his side's talisman with the ball with 193 county championship wickets during the previous three seasons. He said, I'm in full training. I've had a scan the week before we came back to full training and it shows everything is going in the right direction. Back fully fit at the right time uh, for our strengthening and conditioning coach to hammer us for a few weeks going into Christmas. I'm like a kid in a toy store at the moment. I'm absolutely loving coming in every day and having a full part in things after a frustrating three or four months. To miss the semi-final of the Royal London One Day Cup and then to watch the way the season progressed and missing out on it was pretty painful, although naturally I was delighted for the lads and for the club. Hopefully it is best for the long run, the injury fully heals and I come back stronger and fitter next year. Leach admitted that he had to find a way to cope with his time on the sidelines. He said, it took some adjustment. I did a little bit of radio work. I sat up here in the dressing room area a lot and probably got under people's feet. It's a really fine line between being around and being a pain because you can't have any direct impact on what's happening on the field and wanted to show my support and be around the group as well. I hope I managed to tread pretty carefully, but it's the one thing, that is an injury, that you don't want. After having three or four good seasons, it was frustrating, but I suppose these things happen. And a story about some of our young athletics talent. Worcester's Harvey Shaw shone as Hereford and Worcestershire competed at the annual Dave Sunderland County Schools Cross Country Trophy for the first time. 
nine counties were involved in Cheshire and the visiting 21 athletes returned with two of the 18 medals available alongside two other top 10 finishers. Conditions were tough in the wind and rain as Royal Grammar School Worcester pupil Shaw claimed the bronze medal from a field of 130 in the boys' year seven race. He was followed home by Matt Bevins from Aston Fields Middle Broms. Middle School Bromsgrove in 4th and Will Pridden from Bromsgrove School in 27th. Lily Saxon from South Bromsgrove High clinched the silver medal in the Intermediate Girls Age Group on the gruelling 4km course. Natalie Hatfield from Bromsgrove School was 8th out of 100 finishers. The Girls Year 7 race saw Lily Amico from Malvern St James secure the best finish with Amelie Ranger, Alchurch Middle and Anna Nichols, Royal Grammar School Worcester, Philippa Taylor, Dodderhill School also competing. In the Junior Girls race, Amelia Hartshorn, Haybridge High Hagley and Esme Ranger from South Bromsgrove finished in the top 20 with Haybridge's Frankie Teague also racing. The junior boys achieved two top 50 placements from Henry Fazy, Woodrush High Withal, and Seb Purvis from Bromsgrove School, with Linus Burnage, the Chase Malvern, James Thompson, Alf Church Middle, and Flynn Powell, Woodrush, also involved. The four intermediate boys finished their 5km race in the top 50, led home by Harrison Main from St Augustine's Redditch. Teammates pushing him were James Rollison from RGS Worcester, Sam Davey, Christopher Whitehead and Ben Harl from the King's School. So keep your eyes out for those names in the future. I think we've got one more sports story. Is that from you, Phil? Yes, if you wish. We're going to yep. do some boxing for Ooh, a change. Some, yep. yep. Okay. And we're going, to, we're going to draw it, which. Spa trio in triumphs, the headline says. A trio of Droitwich Amateur Boxing Club fighters proved they really can go the distance after scoring a hat-trick of wins on their travels. In his first club bout of the season, 16-year-old Joe Doyle signed off his junior career in style with an impressive victory over fellow England boxer James Sharp from Barton Hill, Bristol. With more than 80 fights between them, the duo began the contest in Torrington, Devon at a ferocious pace and the first round was fairly even before Doyle began to dominate. The spa youngster opened up in the second round with a barrage of body punches that took their toll on his opponent and he followed this up with an array of clean shots in the final round. Doyle's victory sets him up nicely for the ABA Championships, that's the Amateur Boxing Association Championships, of course, which start in mid-January when he also moves up to three-minute rounds at youth level. There were also emphatic displays from two other Droitwich boxers who both stopped their opponents. 13-year-old Stevie Lee Jones overwhelmed Harley Hornby from Wodensboro. His early onslaught of hard punchings forced the referee to step in and end the contest in West Bromwich in the first round. An equally emphatic performance from Mimi Hobby overpowered Maya Kay from Welshpool in a 50kg girls bout. The 15-year-old rising starlet was in fine form with her fast jab and strong right hand dominating the first round and proving too much for the home boxer as her total domination resulted in an early stoppage in the second round. Thank you, Phil. And uh, we'll move on to the obituaries. Um, Catherine's going to begin and we all have some to read out. Thank you. Uh, Anita Griffiths, nay Trigg sadly passed away peacefully in Worcestershire Royal Hospital on December the 3rd, 2018, aged 74. 
The funeral service will be at St Stephen's Church, Droitwich Road, Worcester, on Friday, December the 21st at 11.30am, followed by cremation at Worcester Crematorium. Flowers or donations for St Stephen's Church Fund may be sent to E.J. Goomery and Son, 68-72, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Roy French sadly passed away on November the 28th, 2018, at St Richard's Hospice, aged 81 years. The funeral service took place on Wednesday, December the 12th at 3.15. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Defford Road, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Keith Saxon Fullwood passed away peacefully on November the 22nd, 2018, aged 90 years. The funeral service will be at Fladbury Crematorium on Wednesday, December the 19th at 12 noon. Doreen Hartland passed away at home on November the 27th, 2018, aged 79 years. The funeral service took place on Wednesday, December the 12th at 10 a.m. Family flowers only with donations to Kempsey Daycare Centre, Scent Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, telephone 01905 748811. Dorothy Riley of Fernhill Heath, Worcester, passed away peacefully on November the 28th, 2018, aged 98 years. The funeral service has taken place, or will will be taking place, at Worcester Crematorium tomorrow, Friday, December the 14th, at 1.45pm. Flowers or donations, if desired, for the MS Society may be sent to E.J. Goomery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. A collection plate will also be available at the crematorium. John Edward Smith, ex-Metal Castings, passed away on November the 30th, 2018, aged 84 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium tomorrow, Friday, December the 14th at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Children with Cancer UK may be left on the collection plate or sent to E.J. Goomery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Lillian Elizabeth Taylor, known as Lil, passed away suddenly on November the 29th, 2018, aged 78 years. She will be greatly missed by all her family and friends. The funeral service will be at St Edmund's Church, Stolton, on Tuesday, December the 18th at 1.30pm, followed by a cremation at Fladbury Crematorium. Please wear a splash of pink in Lil's memory. Robert William Ballinger, known as Rob, passed away peacefully on December 4th, aged 63 years. 
The funeral service is tomorrow at Worcester Crematorium at 1pm. Flowers or donations for Kidney Research UK may be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, St John's, Worcester. John Dawson Bishop sadly passed away on November 24th, aged 97. A service to celebrate his life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, December the 17th at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, but donations for Worcester Royal Hospital may be left in the box provided or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors. Dorothy Knight, née Collins, passed away at home on November the 27th, aged 95. The funeral service will take place in St Andrew's Church, Ombersley, on Monday, December the 17th at 2pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Acorns Children's Hospital Trust or Ombersley Medical Centre may be left on the collection plate at the church or sent to E.J. Goomery and Sons, Ombersley Road, Worcester. Muriel Betty Powell passed away on Friday, November the 30th, aged 92. Muriel's funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December the 19th at 2.30. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Diabetes UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to AV Band, Nicholas Street, Worcester. Paul Anthony Lovett passed away peacefully at home on November the 28th, aged 57. His funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, December the 18th at 11.30am. Donations, if desired, to St Richard's Hospice and they may be left in the donations box at the crematorium or sent to Droitwich Spa Funeral Service. Christina Home Whitaker, née Gordon, died peacefully at home on November the 29th, aged 96. The funeral service will take place on Tuesday, December the 18th at 13.45, that's 1.45, at Worcester Crematorium. Please wear something colourful. Family flowers only, please, but donations to St Richard's Hospice or Acorns Children's Hospice may be left at the chapel or donated directly to the charity in memory of Christina. And these go to Cooperative Funeral Care, Lowesmore, Worcester. John Yardley died peacefully on November the 29th, aged 75. His funeral service will be held at St Michael's Church, Rushuk, WR90NR on Monday, December the 17th at 12 noon, followed by internment. Family flowers only. Donations may be given to Parkinson's UK, care of Darren Farraher, funeral directors, Beaches Walk, Sutton Coldfield. No, <clears throat> sorry. Noel Fairfax Blakeborough passed away Thursday, November the 29th. Please contact E. Hill and Son, Funeral Director, Pershaw, for funeral details. Telephone number 01386 Celia Margaret Bradnock of Fernal Heath passed away peacefully on December the 2nd, 2018, aged 72 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, December the 18th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice 
may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gomery and Son, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. No black by request. Lee Andrew Hopkins died suddenly on Wednesday, November the 28th in Burton-on-Trent. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December the 19th at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Eaton Foundation would be greatly appreciated and may be left in the collection box available at the service or sent by cheque only, made payable to the charity. There is no dress code and all are welcome to celebrate Lee's life. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care, telephone number 01905 Jean Lloyd, brackets Phyllis, of Francis Court, Worcester and Callow End, passed away peacefully on Friday, December the 7th, age 76. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 20th at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, Ombersley Road, Worcester. Sheila Parkin passed away peacefully on December the 7th, aged 95 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, December the 18th at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, Ombersley Road, Worcester. Kathleen Clee, nay Wilson, passed away peacefully at home on December the 3rd, aged 94. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 20th at 10am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Worcester Animal Rescue Shelter may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester. Dorothy Rita Joyner passed away at home on November the 25th, age 77. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, December the 20th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Diabetes UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, Ombersley Road, Worcester. Postcode is WR37EU for them. That concludes the obituaries. And we will move on to Thought for the Week, which I think you have, Phil. I do indeed. Uh, Our Thought for the Week this week is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want her to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Catherine, you've got the birthday file, if you'd like to read out uh, who's coming up for a birthday. Yes, um, we have to wish a happy birthday to Rhoda Hall, 
Her birthday's on the 15th. On the 17th, it's John Denny's birthday. And on the 19th, both Robert Hayes and Mandy Atkinson celebrate their birthdays. Um, I'm also going to read out the birthdays over the Christmas break and the New Year, and forgive us if you hear this again. But uh, on the 23rd, Kath Robertson celebrates her birthday, as does Mary Lazenbury. On the 24th, Christmas Eve, it's Vera Keenan's birthday. And on Boxing Day, the 26th, Pete Stacey celebrates his birthday. Lynette Williams has her birthday on the 27th. And Barry Hurd celebrates his birthday on the 29th. So many happy returns to all of you. Indeed. Right, and concluding this week's edition, I am going to give you the sunset and sunrise times. So uh, sunset today was at 3.47pm. I can't really believe that myself. It's so depressing. And sunrise, uh, well, today was 8.03, so tomorrow it'll be just a little bit later. Yes, later. (laughs) Okay. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank tonight's readers... It's goodbye from me, Catherine. And me, Philip. And to John Plush, who's waving to us from the recording room. And he says goodbye too. And thank you again to our uh, copying and admin team who are stepping in for Carol, who's away um, on this particular edition. And it's goodbye from me. And I think we can probably all say have a very happy Christmas. Well, that was the last Talking Newspaper of 2018. Pippa and her team will be back with you on the 11th of January next year. In the meantime... We wish you a happy Christmas and a prosperous New Year.